Hi, my name's Alex Kelly, co-founder of Bright Flag, and this is In-House Outliers, a podcast where I interview those who've taken unconventional paths and challenged conventional notions of how in-house legal should operate. I'm delighted to be joined today on the podcast by Katrina Gowans. Katrina is Director of Legal Operations at IFM Investors and is also co-chair of the Australian chapter of CLOCK. Katrina, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Alex. It's great to be here. Katrina, let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? Melbourne, born and bred. I spent my schooling and university days here. I love travel. I love to go traveling when I'm on holidays, not working. And I also worked out that Melbourne is a really livable city and I had lots of great opportunities. So I spent my my formative years here and then unsurprisingly started work here as well, way back, almost last century, last millennium. I can certainly attest to Melbourne being a, a wonderful city, having uh, spent lots of time there with work. Uh, it's yeah. it's a fantastic place and and almost feels like a home away from home for me. A lot of similarities. And and what would you say prompted you to become a lawyer then, Katrina? It's a very interesting question. I don't know that I ever really was gunning to be a lawyer. I think it was sort of just the next step. I think I did quite well at school and thought, you know, maybe I'll study law. I definitely knew I didn't want to do anything on the science or medicine side. I was a bit squeamish. And then um, got my law degree and thought, well, I probably should get um, articles qualified, which is what they called it at the time here. So I spent, you know, a year doing articles and then I'd finish my articles and I thought, well, now I should try and actually be a lawyer. So I did that for a few years. And before I knew it, I'd been practicing law at a law firm for about 12 years, I think. So the first kind of step towards your ultimate mm. career in legal operations yeah. was was moving yeah. in-house. What prompted that initial transition from like 12 years in practice? Yeah. It's quite a long time, obviously, in, yeah. in, in a large firm. What prompted the initial move in-house? Along the way in private practice, I did a number of secondments where you sort of go into, you know, a company and be an in-house lawyer. And I always loved those. And I think I probably got very good at sort of turning up day one and rolling up my sleeves. And I just loved that approach. So I think I was destined to move in-house and it was really just about finding the right role at the right time for me. Um, And that looked like Origin Energy at the time. So that was about 10 years ago. And I could see in Origin Energy like an opportunity to be an in-house lawyer. But equally, I think a lot of the things that I'd learned along the way in the sort of area of law which I practice, which was predominantly sort of consumer competition law, lots of opportunities to provide process improvement opportunities. So things like guidance for the business, you know, rules to sort of help them make decisions and sort of deal with things independently themselves rather than, you know, sort of answering the same question all the time. So I'd sort of done a bit of formative work in as private practice lawyer. And then at Origin, there were a lot of opportunities to really deepen that um, process improvement and knowledge management. And sort of where that led to then was our general counsel at the time, I think he could sort of see that there was a lot of developments in terms of legal technology for in-house teams. And he had made the technology investment decision to buy a matter management system and a document management system, but saw the importance of actually landing that well with the team. So I kind of always say like um, when you buy technology, 
you know, success isn't measured whether you can turn it on or off. It's actually whether the people on the ground use it. And so he sort of tapped me on the shoulder and said, would you be interested in sort of stepping into this role to kind of lead that change for the team as a bit of an internal secondment in an in-house team? And so I did that for a year and I loved it. And then I kept going back for more. And sort of five years later, I was rolling up my sleeves at all the legal operations opportunities I could find. So, you know, I think if I look back, definitely always had a theme to the things that I did that have a bent towards legal operations in terms of that curious mind to find out and test new things and understand new things. Definitely a strong sort of people focus and working sort of problem solving. And I think also just that drive for process and continuous improvement too. So they were sort of themes all along, but then they really came together when I sort of was able to step into the role as a legal operations lead. I'm fascinated, Katrina. There's so much there in what you've said. Mm. Fascinated to understand, firstly, what were the biggest challenges and the big, the steep, what was the, I suppose, steepest learning curve taking on the legal ops mandate when your GC, as you say, tapped you on the shoulder? And I remember it vividly. So I'm not sure, Alex, have you got a background as a lawyer? I can't remember. Yes, yeah, yeah. So when you're a lawyer, you turn up and from day one, your inbox is full and people are ringing you and they're asking you to do things. They're giving you things to do. So you are never short of like having something to do and knowing what to do next. Like obviously there's a process in prioritizing and sometimes you need to, you know, think outside the box to come up with solutions. But the biggest change moving into legal ops was I was given a blank page it was the scariest thing ever. And I'm sure there are lots of other professions out there that they walk into the role and it's kind of like theirs to make of it. But for a lawyer, it's incredibly scary. And it took me sort of a few days to sort of just think over that offer and that proposal in terms of stepping into the role. Like I kind of, there were sort of broad parameters in terms of we've got this system, we want you to sort of implement it and embed it and make it part of our way of working. But as to that, how you do that and who you speak to and what time you dedicate to it and what resources you've got. There was just none of that. So I think that was easily the biggest challenge. It definitely took a bit of time to sort of build up that confidence to know what you're doing was the right thing. I think, you know, and I'll, I'll cut myself a little bit of slack because I, I sort of went through all of that maybe five or six years ago before I even called it legal operations. And I think that sort of tag and that name was really only just started to being used here. And so there wasn't the same, you know, embedded network of legal ops professionals in Australia that we have now that you could sort of hop on a call and there'll be 20 other people that have done something and are very happy to share. There are definitely people around that I found. The majority of them were at law firms at the time. It was a very daunting thing to be one of the the sort of the early adopters in that role in Australia. But at the same time, I've also been able to sort of reap some of the benefits, I guess, because I get to come on things like this and talk to you and talk to other people. And I come to things, you know, with a bit more experience only by virtue of the fact that I was sort of six to 12 months ahead of the curve. And we might get on to talk about your involvement in the kind of emergence of the legal operations <clears throat> in Australia and, and mm. uh, your role with Clark and with other groups in a moment. But but yeah. I, I just wanted to delve in a little bit on, on that kind of taking on that remit. As you say, lawyers maybe don't like to think about, we don't like to think about ourselves as being reactive, but inherently that's we're, we're rea- responding to the yeah. demands of the business yeah. and providing legal yeah. advice. And there's no shortage of work, as you alluded to, and it's very different when you're in a role which is 
broader, longer term transformation. As you say, you have a blank canvas to work with. One of the things that that certainly I've encountered for for mm. people taking on a legal ops role as well is that they may be less familiar with things like managing a budget and and thinking about things in terms of data and metrics in the way that the finance team do, for instance. I'm curious, is that mm. something you encountered in kind of taking on the role? A little bit. I definitely um, had to sharpen my pencil in a number of areas. I think legal operations, there's not one sort of job description. So I think you can certainly lean into aspects of legal ops where you have a strength. And I think you can sort of put up your hand where, you know, you don't have that skill set. So I'll be the first one to say the things I love, like I love change management. I'll map you out like an amazing plan for changing anything. I love knowledge management and designing sort of knowledge management programs. But when I think about things like automation or automating processes, I can explain it, Mm -hmm. but I have no idea how to build it on a power platform or Mm -hmm. code it or any of that. So I think you kind of have to lean into your strengths because with legal operations, there are many different elements of it. And I think there wouldn't be many people in this on this world that are good at all of them. So I think it's sort of identifying your own strengths and your own sort of areas where you need help. Um, I do think as well that you do build familiarity and you build a know-how. That's sort of a new skill set. So it's no different really, I guess, to lawyers that maybe go and attend a CLE or have to learn about a new piece of legislation. Um, I'm still, you know, picking up skills and I think the skills I pick up tend to be more me just through tinkering with things or, um, you know, having conversations with people that are doing it on the ground. So learning about generative AI is sort of a, you know, a hot topic for anyone playing bingo at home. We've, we've hit it at like 15 minutes <laughs> in. Take long. Um, no, but, you know, those sort of new things that you definitely have to sort of upskill. And I think it, it's something that I kind of do iteratively as I go along. And one of the things that has been incredibly helpful to legal operations professionals has been the emergence of the broader movement and groups like Clock. How did you get involved with with Clock Australia? I do remember in my earliest days when we were started working with customers in Australia, the likes of yourself and Mick Sheehy and and Anna Gowski were were getting involved. How did that all start and, and what value do you feel it's brought? Yeah, so I remember I think they were sort of having quarterly catch-ups and I was invited. I must have sort of networked into a few colleagues. I think Elliot Liebu, who runs another Legal Ops podcast, yes, I I know invited Elias, me yeah. along. Yeah. Yeah, so he invited me along to one of the quarterly catch-ups and automatically, like, you know, it just ticked all my boxes in terms of people that were in the same boat as me. I think it was, and I think it very much still is in Australia, it can be quite a lonely role internally because I think the scale of where we're at in Australia is most teams you'll be a sole legal ops person surrounded by lawyers Um, and so it was really wonderful to have that network and then from there I remember I I, um, presented at the they had a clock Australia Institute so I spoke at um, a session and it was quite well received at the time and then I think probably partway through maybe 2020 um, one of the um, co-chairs in Australia Sheldon Remenka stood down and 
Anna Golovsky and Damien Sullivan sort of said, oh, you know, they rang me up and they said, oh, would you be interested? Like, we, you know, we can see that you're sort of doing lots of things in this space and I was quite engaged and I'd done a bit sort of with Clock US as well. And so asked me if I would join them as a clock co-chair in Australia. I think it's it's wonderful that we have three, like it really does help um, share the load. And so then sort of just took off from there in terms of involvement with Clock. Um, and now it's sort of Anna Golovsky, Matt Duncan and myself. We still sort of continue that sort of in-house networking. And it's something I think that we're really proud of and protective of in terms of bringing people together and having a space for people to connect and sort of talk about burning platforms. Like we really try and listen to our members in terms of what are their biggest pain points and what are the trends and what are the things that are really going to help set them up for success in what they're each doing every day. And you touched on something there, um, yeah. Katrina, in terms of the scale of a, the, the legal department and the legal ops function in Australia when compared yeah. to the US or, or EMEA. Yeah. Do you find you've had to kind of tailor the program and the content for your audience in Australia um, so that it resonates and it's, it's adding more value, as much value as possible? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, definitely we do. Like we, insofar as the content programming we really only have eyes on what's happening in Australia and New Zealand I should say as well and you know we're lucky that we're close we're close to the ground so we can sort of hear you know we speak to those people regularly to know what's sort of pushing their buttons at the moment I think where there are things sort of trends that we're seeing overseas and an example would be Last year, we sort of did a bit of a deep dive into, I think Clock did a sort of a state of the industry report and where a lot of Clock members sort of complete a survey and it comes out with sort of some different themes around trends in spend and adoption of different types of technology. We sort of pulled pieces of that out to sort of compare it to what that report was saying versus what the Australian context we felt was and whether it was whether we were the same or ahead or behind. The US is legal ops on steroids with no greater example than the CGI, which we can definitely talk about. But, you know, it's a much, much bigger market with a much bigger legal spend. I think we just need to be alive to that fact as sort of a reality in Australia. And so I think the things that we tend to talk about are what we know our in-house legal ops people have as real problems, not, you know, pie in the sky, sort of implementing massive, big, you know, um, CLM projects or something like a lot of them tend to pick sort of more discrete um, problems and then we'll sort of talk about them as sort of a case study um, at a quarterly just to make sure that it really is resonating with people and what's on their their plate at the time. It's so important to have that kind of situational awareness to understand your specific community and and where they yeah. are in terms of their scale, yeah. their yeah. their priorities. And uh, you touched on the the Clock Global Institute in Las Vegas. I think yeah. you and I hadn't met for many many years. Uh, yes. With COVID intervening and the return of in person events, it was it was great to catch up with you in person. What was your kind of big takeaway from your time in Las Vegas? I loved it. I'd never been before, so it was my first CGI and I was kind of in between roles. So I could really go, 
you know, fancy free and made the most of really just connecting with people. I think it was one of your other guests I remember you interviewed might have been on the floor at CGI. I heard her say, you know, you've got to pick one objective that you want to sort of follow through with or pick one one topic or one thing that you're interested in and just talk to everybody about that. And my objective was just to connect and talk to people. I think particularly being from Australia, you know, people don't drop in all the time. We recognise that, you know, it's a long way for people to fly. And so I really put a premium on just having face-to-face conversations. There were a couple of vendors that I kind of introduced myself to or bumped into and they wanted to give me a tech demo. And I'm like, no, you can do this. We can do this next week when I'm back at home on my laptop, but let's just have a human conversation. So there was absolutely, that was sort of my biggest takeaway was just that wonderful energy. I think that sort of comes from that community and you know a feeling you know we're on to something like you know I'm not the only believer out there there's there were like two and a half thousand other people that love legal ops as much as I do I reflected though when I came home that the inherent danger or the flip side of that is then the people that you go back and sit at your desk and work with they're not believers like they have a very different um you know, um, world and a different set of challenges that are coming at them from their inbox, from the business. And so it's kind of just balancing that excitement and enthusiasm with like the day-to-day of, um, you know, what we've sort of got to get on with and do. Something you said earlier, um, Mm. I wanted to circle back on Katrina, which is Mm. your GC at Origin obviously tapped you on the shoulder and identified the need for a dedicated legal ops function and saw that you had the skill set suited to take on that work. But as you kind of alluded to there a moment ago, not every legal mm-hmm. department is there or not every legal leader is there yet in, in understanding yep. the value of legal ops. What would you say to somebody who's maybe in an in-house role or is is kind of not fully committed to legal ops yet or being allowed to kind of fully dedicate themselves to it yet? What would you say to them and how they can kind of bring legal leadership, the general counsel along and in, in helping them understand the value that the function can bring? I take a lot of that resp- responsibility on. I think existing legal operations professionals, there's a danger that we're in a bubble and we're talking to each other. Whereas what my, my sort of big mission for the next sort of 12 months is to go out and find people and talk to them and sort of bring them into the conversation and even you know, they don't have to be necessarily be GCs, but every lawyer that you sort of explain what legal operations is and some of the wins that you've had, I think that all sort of helps push the dial in the right direction. There's no silver bullet. It's just every little conversation or every um, proof point that sort of legal ops professionals can sort of bring to a conversation, the better. So anytime I'm talking to anyone sort of in the legal profession, I've always got a few little, you know, nuggets of things that I've been working on or that I've you know, had success with that sort of helped, um, I guess, build that bigger business case in terms of the legal operations profession. I also think it's probably um, just a generational change as well. I, I must say I must have been, I've been very fortunate. Maybe it's because I'm inside the world of legal ops, but I know a lot of the GCs that I come across, including my new um, general counsel at IFM, are very um, switched on, very pro what legal operations professionals can bring in terms of that added dimension of value and that different skill set. And I think that that's kind of the definitely the the trend is in that direction. I, I feel like, you know, we're definitely winning the fight, but there's always more conversations to be had. 100% and I couldn't agree more mm-hmm. I do think there is a kind of a generational change amongst general counsel underway where the the new wave are way more yeah. 
forward thinking and and inclined to invest in the function and and see the value it can bring. Yeah. To interrupt, I also think that just a lot of lawyers are stepping up Mm. and making it part of their day-to-day. So, you know, I kind of might be killing the profession at the same time, but there's, there's no rule that says you have to have a dedicated legal operations person. And in fact, I kind of live with this tension in our role that if I do my job well and embed all the change things that I set out to do well with the lawyers, I, I could run out of work and I could make myself, you know, like I'm, I'm sort of always looking for the next one. And there's that, you know, that tension there in terms of what we're trying to do, because we really are trying to drive a change for the way that the lawyers work. And I think maybe just naturally some lawyers or some legal teams might already be doing it or they might have little change champions that don't necessarily have the job title of legal operations but are meeting a lot of those requirements for their in-house team as well and so it's really just important that we sort of continue to put our arms around them just as much as the people like myself or like the sort of our members in clock that tend to be dedicated legal ops people. I couldn't agree more Katrina and I Mm. think there is just a natural consequence. If you're a team of three in-house lawyers, you, it may be difficult to, to mm. get budget for, for that role just yet. Yeah. Uh, at, at that yeah. point of scale, you can still be looking at ways to innovate, to, to improve right. how you're operating at that point of scale. When legal teams start to get kind of get above four or five lawyers, legal spend getting into the kind of 1 million plus range, then that in and of itself can just become a dedicated function with a lot of road to travel to your point in terms of the initiatives you can undertake to improve legal service delivery to the business to make things more efficient. But Katrina, I want to be respectful of your time. As always, it's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you. Final question for me, unrelated to the world of legal ops, what what (laughs) do you enjoy doing in, in your spare time? Getting lots of sunshine, not great in winter at Melbourne, but I just had a great holiday in the top end of Australia, crocodiles and all. And coupled with sunshine is I love reading books. I managed to read five books in two weeks while I was away. So I'm an absolute, you know, diehard reader in my spare time. Myself and my wife have been watching, I'm not sure if you've seen a documentary Chris Hemsworth has done called Limitless, and it's, yes. it's a great showcase of the Australia, Australian, uh, yes. Australia generally. And So you're about to say Crocodile Dundee, because ah, that's probably a bit not, more apt. Not Crocodile Dundee, <laughs> no, but, but uh, I've been down to Australia quite a bit with, uh, with work over the past few yep. years, but not for a holiday, and the two of us were saying it's just such a, a beautiful country and, and a wonderful place to take uh, holiday time as well. Well, Katrina, thank you so, so much for for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Alex. Lovely to talk. I'm Alex Kelly, host of the In-House Outliers podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Brightflag, an AI-powered legal operations platform where corporate legal departments gain visibility into operations, maximize productivity, and engage with outside counsel strategically. If you like this episode, then you can find more information in our show notes. If you want to hear more, then you can also find more episodes at brightflag.com forward slash legal hyphen operations hyphen podcast. Thanks again for listening to the In-House Outliers podcast. We'll see you again next time.